0: In New Jersey, Jersey. we found New
1: some
0: Welcome to this week's episode of Jersey Matters. I'm your host, Mike Perino.
1: And I'm Casey McLean.
0: We're going to this week give you a COVID nineteen update. Just kind of rapid fire some crazy things that have been happening. Then we'll take you to Murphy's Corner. After that, we're gonna talk about um, uh, these like seeds that are coming in the mail to some people. Uh, Casey actually received one. We're going to talk about a little bit about that. At that, we're going to talk about the tropical storm. It's Isaiah. Isaiah. I uh, think so. I Think so. Yeah. And um, after the headlines, we're both going to dive into the recent assassination attempt on Judge Salas. As we said, that we or Salas? I don't know. That we said. That we said we were going to do. We're going to both kind of take it from different angles. And then uh, at the end, kind of discuss the entire thing, what we think about it and um, uh, how we should kind of view these kinds of events. So let's dive right in because uh, we got a lot to talk about today. (laughs) So starting with COVID-19, instead of giving you the usual number stuff, uh, how I usually do it, I'm going to just talk about more general trends. So according to NBC News, New Jersey's seeing a spike in COVID-19 cases as residents are starting to slack off on mask and social distancing. Just as an aside, I've kind of noticed this personally in my life as people seem to be taking, as now that we're starting the beginning of August, COVID a lot less seriously. So uh, that, this doesn't really surprise me. Uh, it's something that we've all been uh, warning about on this podcast for a while. But it does finally seem that the the counting of new cases is starting to uh match what I'm like seeing in my my life. So, according to the article, alarm bells went off in New Jersey on Monday as state as the state uh, appeared to have successfully flattened the coronavirus curve, then saw a number of new cases spike by 175% in the last 2 weeks. As of Monday morning, New Jersey had reported 185,537 confirmed cases and 15,836 confirmed deaths. The state's rate of transmission had climbed back up to 1.48 equal to the levels in April when the pandemic was at its worst in the state. They don't really explain what that means, so I'm going to give you just a quick understanding. A rate of transmission is when you are infected, how many more people do you infect? So if, if the rate of transmission is one, you infect one other person. If it's less than one, then you're adequately flattening the curve, because that means for every person that's infected, they don't infect um, another person. person. Exactly. Yeah. So you're doing that. 1.48 is bad, because as you can see, you basically most people will end up infecting, since you can't infect half a person, what it really means, most people end up infecting two, some people end up yeah. infecting one. And that's how some you could be it.
1: infecting three or but ten. That makes it exactly, it's the average.
0: Makes, makes it <laughs> hard, because at, when it's above one, it's it's hard to deal with. And um, that's kind of what's going on with the this new stuff. So from July 20th through August 2nd, New Jersey logged 5,070 new cases and 134 new deaths. Uh, Governor Murphy responded this uh, to to this by tightening restrictions on the number of people who can gather at indoor venues or parties from 100 to 25. Honestly, 100 was probably too many at this point anyway. Not really sure why they did it. Probably for business reasons, but yeah, uh, limiting indoor gathering. This is what Murphy's saying: limiting in, indoor gatherings to 25 people is a pretty meaningful step. We knew as we reopened, we would take on more risk. So he's right. So one of the major things that happened. Recently, in terms of violating COVID rules, was the huge Airbnb party that uh, happened in New Jersey. Did you hear about this, Casey?
1: Yes, I've seen photos of it. And there's more than one now that I know of, of people Uh, renting Airbnb mansions and uh, then throwing lavish promoted parties.
0: Yeah. So so basically... (laughs) More than 700 people attended uh, this house party in New Jersey. Uh, The owner had to break it up. From my understanding. No masks. um, Okay. No no possible. (laughs) So the, uh, just so it's clear. Yeah. That people don't understand how Airbnb works. Owner usually rents out the stuff. Usually not allowed to have um, parties or things like that. It's pretty typical of Airbnb's guidelines not to do that. And, Basically, the people that rented this then hosted a huge party, which the the owner had to call the cops on to get broken up. In addition, the the, the Airbnb is saying that they're going to shut down properties that ignore social distancing guidelines and uh, also host massive parties. So that's pretty good. But uh, it's kind of like you're always, how do I say it? I don't really have like an analogy for it, but, but they're always kind of like following, like reacting instead of being proactive on this front. Yeah. So I mean it's it's
1: it's almost impossible. That's the tough thing about Airbnb is when you rent to a person, you believe and they sign up and they agree that they're only going to have a certain number of people there and they're going to be there for a certain amount of time and there's a fixed rate on it. And typically you're seeing people maybe you'll book a place for like six people but really there'll be 10 people in attendance and you know people will sleep on the couch or whatever. But this is an extreme, and I think typically you don't need to be suspicious of renters on Airbnb, but if you have a property that might be an attractive nuisance, like I think you need to do your due diligence as a a host or a super host as they could be um, on Airbnb and really take a look, see if they're, you know, maybe a club promoter, (laughs) you know, see you know, and have some kind of agreement written where you are now no longer going to be held liable or responsible if they do throw a party. Because Governor Murphy, he hasn't said specifically what charges or anything like that will come to these hosts or the people who promote the party or people who rent the property. But I guess we'll see in in time what the the government is going to do to prevent this. Because with the yeah. The rate of spreading already over one, you know.
0: (laughs) Also, the people, just so people understand, this, like, obviously, these parties and stuff are are causing spread. And we have information about this. We don't, like, need to guess about this stuff. So, for instance, uh, Murphy said that, I'll just give you an idea of how big this party was, because 700 people is a lot. And I, I can kind of understand what it means for 700 people to be in a mansion, but he explained that it took nearly the entire Jackson Township police force to break it up, and it took over five hours to break up the party. That's like, wow. you imagine a bunch of drunk people partying in, uh, during COVID. Like, they're not going to want to just going to easily comply. So, And those is, 700
1: people have a place where they live. And those yeah, 700 people, exactly, they transported themselves from home to there, you know, touching things, interacting with people. Exactly it's oh murphy,
0: murphy put out uh, uh, or explained rather that um the week prior teenagers teenagers had attended a party in middletown and that party has been linked to at least 50 new positive coronavirus cases in those teens between ages 15 and 19 and in addition a long beach island party resulted in nearly 30 lifeguards testing positive which is not good we're now entering a uh like beach season well now that we're entering it's been happening for a while we're gonna need lifeguards for people who are going out, like like yeah, like you can't people can need to use their use their brains. <laughs> yeah. COVID's still happening. The only reason yeah. why it's not as bad in Jersey right now as Florida is because of all those measures that we did earlier. Yeah. And we it, it's COVID's still bad. It still can come back. Like it's not that like it can come back, it's I'm wording it wrong. It it's still here. Yeah. It's not and... out there. It's it's here. It, it, it's it's so pervasive that yeah. like not that you need to live your uh, life in uh, in fear right now, but like just think about what, what what we're asking you to do and what everyone's asking you to do. It's just wear a damn mask, socially distance, and for like maybe the the duration of just one year, don't have a large like party, party. gathering. Yeah, like, this and isn't I, hard stuff.
1: I also want to note that there's a lot of um, confusion about antibodies. And I'm seeing a lot of people who aren't wearing masks saying that they've tested positive and they have antibodies on their system. The big thing right now in the medical community in researching this is how long do those antibodies stay with you? And you could be reinfected depending on what strain you've had, depending on how long you have antibodies in your system. You could be infected and be infected and not have antibodies. weeks after testing positive and you cannot bank on your friends or family or associates who say they have antibodies that they continue like it's not a a shield you know it's you still have to have precautions in place and protect yourself and the people you care about just because you've tested positive i know several people who have tested positive and have tested positive for antibodies they are still cautious they still wear a mask and they are still acting as if they could get it and they are acting as if like they could potentially get it and think that they don't have it and then spread it unknowingly and it's no one is safe right now <laughs>
0: we don't know people aren't saying this is a novel coronavirus we don't know a lot about this disease yet we don't know anything about its long-term like health side effects because we just it hasn't been around long enough for us to know that we know that people have who've had it sometimes about organ damage. There's been some people with brain damage. I mean, the, the causes of these things and how they're related are not very well known. From what I understand, I, I guess just uh, uh, you know obviously that's one a thing we- professional, but like the thing the other thing is um, we don't know if this is going to be like a thing like um, like think of like chickenpox for instance. People who get chickenpox when they're younger might when they're when they're older sometimes get shingles. Right? Yeah, and that requires you of having had pox when you're younger. What, we we don't know if coronavirus is something similar. Like we don't we don't know. It, it's it's not to be scary, but like people need to take this seriously. Like we don't know how this thing works. It's already killed a ton of people. It's still killing people every day. About a thousand people dying every. Or you see what Trump said about that? It's yeah. uh, it is what it is what it is. Um, <laughs> and we're looking at increased rates because people aren't taking it seriously either because they think it's done. Or they just never thought it was something serious. And it's ruining the rest of our lives. Like for all of us. Like like it's it's, it's making their non-compliance is making everything worse for everyone else. And it's the epitome of selfishness to act in this way. When what we need right now is uh, common sense and just like solidarity to have the kind of precautions. Like necessary health precautions that don't even really put much burden on individuals.
1: And the only thing we do know is that hydroxychloroquine is, (laughs) is that the answer?
0: Yeah, of all all drugs for him to have gotten latched onto, he picked like the one that ended up being a spectacular failure. I think that's pretty much a summation of Trump's response.
1: I also want to know, like the conspiracy theorist in me is like, how many Republicans have invested in that drug and are hoping that it's you know it takes off so that they can make you know because there's always oh, like totally. they, yeah. they'll hold off on passing laws because they want to get their stocks sold in place and then they could you know reap the benefits and rewards of something kicking off like that
0: yeah how much of this was grift like that's a great yeah. question <laughs> sure we have no idea and i my immediate guess is it was probably a lot of grift i mean mm-hmm. this is the united states of america it's a grifting nation <laughs>
1: Super grifty. Um, but moving on, is that all for Corona?
0: That's all, yeah.
1: Okay. I just want to read off really quick the from Murphy's Corner. Um, his most recent executive orders. So we last covered executive order, probably 169, the one that clarifies the state's postponement of annual municipal and county party committee reorganization meetings only ac- applicable to you know, whatever, Um, (laughs) the very lengthy and wordy Executive Order of 169. Um, So Executive Order 170 signed on the 31st of July. Governor Murphy signs Executive Order extending certain statutory deadlines across state government, which is uh, a repeat of basically 169. Um, Then Executive Order 171 signed on the 1st of this month, Mm -hmm. August. The order extends the public health emergency that was declared on March 9, 2020 through Executive Order 103 which was previously extended on April 7th, May 6th, June 4th, and July 2nd. What a little (laughs) salty executive order that is. And uh, Because you know people are probably like, why are you doing this executive order again and again and again? He's like or pretending because that's what happened originally because we've been covering his executive orders this whole time so there was like um every
0: time every month he does this i, I see somebody on facebook being like like what is governor murphy doing he already <laughs> did this he, he's seizing more power and i'm like read the executive order it's like yeah. two pages long <laughs> it's like-
1: yeah and then with mainstream media they say governor murphy passed 300 executive orders since corona started you know it's if you look at it every week as we do it's not it's it's nothing it's literally oh, yeah. like, like
0: in in that like 300 like four <laughs> of them are all about raising the flag like yeah <laughs> or lowering it depending on which one it was <laughs> like,
1: uh, yeah. everything is okay um so then executive order 172 Governor Murphy signed on the 3rd of August. Governor Murphy signs executive order allowing public employees to immediately enroll in state health benefits program and executive order 173 signed on the 3rd also. Governor Murphy announces decreased indoor gathering capacity limit, which we talked about in the previous segment when we were viewing Corona news. Uh, This is important because We are seeing an increase, and that means we have a decrease in our uh, activities. So keep that in mind the next time you go to a rager. Uh, So Governor Murphy signs Executive Order 174 on the 3rd, same day as these other two executive orders. Governor Murphy declares a state of emergency in response of Hurricane Isaiah. So
0: one last thing on the... Coronavirus stuff. Uh, uh, just, just related. I, I, I a um
1: hey.
0: a <laughs> I can't speak. Edit that out.
1: A, uh, <laughs> You're keeping it in.
0: <laughs> a Starbucks. Our Starbucks near me closed because of COVID. One that I frequent pretty often, and no one's ever reached out to me for contact tracing <laughs> that apparently we're doing. And um, I'm just saying, like, I, I think that's pretty common. Like, I, uh, so. Yeah,
1: just. I think I think you're gonna see <laughs> no contact tracing uh for a very long time. I think it was a great idea and if we, like, had, if started we had started it, it. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if we had started it from the jump, excellent idea. But how now do you
0: contact trace when we have like hundreds of thousands of cases a day or whatever it is in New in not in uh, New Jersey in the country. Like how do yeah. you even go about?
1: <laughs> I'm excited because like Every single time I make an appointment, like I I made my eye doctor appointment, I have to, I'm making an appointment for this month for a physical. I haven't had one in a couple of years, but I need a certain kind of medication that I need a physical for, mind your business. But you have to say, and donating blood also is another time I get this question. You have to, you're questioned if you've been in contact with someone who you know has had coronavirus. And I want to know that like no one I've ever spoken to during this whole thing has said that they've had coronavirus. They'll tell me if they have the antibodies, number one. Number two, there are a lot of people out there who have tested positive and notably, you know, social media age influencers have, who have tested positive, who have been going to these parties, who have been promoting garbage. And they are so ashamed and afraid to say they've tested positive. So let that be a lesson. There are a lot of people who are testing positive knowingly and refusing to communicate it to people. So even if contact tracing was happening, there are a lot of people who are refusing to even say they have it. So let that be a lesson to everyone.
0: Trust no one. Okay. Trust no one. <laughs> is, that a, <laughs> is that it from Herbie's Corner?
1: That's it from Herbie's Corner. <laughs> All
0: right, you want to talk about you? You received some seeds in the mail and why, why is this important? Important nationally.
1: So <laughs> I want to tell my side of the story. Um, when Corona hit and we knew we'd be quarantined for at least when it first started, we were being told a few months and we were told, you know, prioritize your like leaving the house. So people were being basically shamed publicly if they were going to Home Depot for like a flower garden. Um So I was like, crap. Like every year I always look forward to having a garden um, on my balcony. So I thought if I just buy dirt from the grocery store and pot my plants and not pot my plants, but like pot dirt and then just grow things from seed, no one can really shame me because no one can... <laughs> <laughs> no one's going to see me hauling the plants out of Home Depot. Um, so I ordered a bunch of seeds off of Amazon to be delivered. And, and naturally, when I order things online, I don't check the seller and the origin of whatever I'm ordering. So when I receive some packages of my seeds, they came from China. And there was also something else. I think like nail files I got came from China and these specific bags that are being seen on news articles now. And sometimes I would forget that I ordered the seeds and I would come with this nondescript bag from China with just an unlabeled package of seeds. So yes, I did plant them. Um, and they're perfectly, like they seem fine.
0: So but- for people who are in the know, Yeah, Uh, so So Here's what what happened. There's this...
1: Yeah.
0: (laughs) Okay, so as the the briefest possible background, if you've been asleep for the past, like, I don't know, six years, China's been rising up as uh, a pretty dominant economic power. Obama did the whole (laughs) pivot to Asia thing to focus on China. Trump came in was like, I hate China, and has been having a trade war forever. And now that we're in an election campaign, he won't stop mentioning China and how evil they are, including things like... TikTok, blah, 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 blah. So whatever reason, some people got mailed in the news, uh, uh, or reported in the news that they got mailed these seeds. And I guess they didn't order seeds, or maybe they forgot they ordered seeds. No one really knows because there's no good yeah. reporting on it. So they freak <laughs> out because they, they see China. And yeah. they thi- and, and then what, the, what happens is the news plus Trump and Mike Pompeo basically start saying that, or speculating that, these seeds might be dangerous. Don't plant them. Uh, China might be doing them, do it to like undermine our agriculture or something like that. When yeah. It's just like, it doesn't make any damn sense. Uh, there's... Uh, there's no, how would you coordinate a plan to undermine US agriculture or whatever by just randomly mailing seeds to people?
1: The only, the only way Wouldn't that you... kind of thing works <laughs> is, yeah? and you see it a lot in, um, like uh, I don't want to say like farmers' law, but you have a lot of um, seed contracts with like Monsanto, where farmers, if they are found to be um, hoarding seeds, to so they right. don't purchase, you know, they get in a lawsuit if they. Yeah, they if the actually technically is...
0: own the seed. They don't own yes. the seeds. That's... Yes. Yes. Yeah, so if the
1: seed were stuff. to like fly over into another farmer's farm without that farmer knowing, or but that farmer is now liable for you know but trade the, secrets the, the
0: one thing is it's like we don't even like they're not billing on yeah. the farmer. it's just random people yes. and also like no one's explained like what this is it's honestly <laughs> the, the easiest solution is you know like everyone's like a lot of people are ordering stuff online now a lot yeah. of stuff gets shipped from china as like you know anyone should be aware who's lived in the past like 30 years i imagine with so much extra stuff like sometimes mistakes just happen like if this happened six years ago no, it would probably wouldn't even make the news because, like, oh, weird, I got some stuff. But now that Trump's talking about China and like making China out to be this evil empire trying to destroy the world or whatever stupid narrative they have,
1: yeah.
0: Now people um, are all heightened about like anti-China stuff. So like now it becomes reported. That's what I that's what I think it is. That, was yeah. the point that you got. I, I'm surprised that you actually got the got the seeds because yeah, uh, uh, like I don't know. I, I didn't think they were actually being mailed to any. I thought it was like four people that got them, but I guess you actually got them too.
1: Yeah, and I just want to say, like, there's nothing, like, unless these are hybrid robot seeds. You know what I mean? Like, there's no, there's nothing that can be like done with the seeds. You know what I mean? So like, uh, we'll follow,
0: we'll follow your plant, and if it grows up to start like trying to kill you, let us know. Or recording my conversations. We'll break, we'll break the story on Jersey Matters.
1: You heard it here first.
0: <laughs> so uh, the storm happened. Um, it was pretty big. Uh, I don't know um, much else to say. Not as bad as Sandy. Still pretty bad. Basically, uh, uh, Isaiah came in really fast. Uh, It was like here for a couple hours. Just gone. Yeah, yeah. But in my town, it it was like clear skies and blue and sunny out by like 1 uh, p.m. Yeah. uh, Pretty amazing just how quickly Storm could move in. But for me personally, I lost power for... I wanna say I lost it at 11 in the morning and then I didn't have it until 7 a.m. the next day, maybe 8 a.m. and didn't have internet until like 8 p.m. the that same day I got in, uh, electricity back. But a lot of people have uh, shortages uh, or power, power outages, I mean, right now, or like internet troubles.
1: Yeah, uh, still phone today. Power
0: yeah, so this, is, this caused a lot of damage around the state. I've heard a lot of people are frustrated because it's taken so long for stuff to get together. I mean, I was frustrated too. But I think one of the things to remember is a lot of the repair teams are on, like, essentially skeleton crews to, like, prevent the spread of COVID going throughout the entire workforce. Like, they, yeah, they could um, repair stuff a lot faster uh, if they went back to normal business practices. But then if, like, everyone got sick or a lot of people got sick, it actually hurts the workforce in the long run, which makes repairs for other things and, and even this, like, yeah. longer. So, like, it really sucks that this is happening right now. but. Uh, uh, it, it just kind of shows you how like all these things are kind of linked like uh, a hurricane slash tropical storm in the middle of uh, COVID is not good so I just wonder like as bad as it was for us like how bad do you think it was in Florida like, they yeah. have, like the worst uh, but COVID also this now.
1: is the, basically the beginning of hurricane season it's, yeah, it's like the August into almost like October almost like
0: October yeah.
1: yeah so this is not the first tropical storm hurricane that's gonna come so wear your mask <laughs> and do your part because it's just the compound problem of people being in quarantine not being able to go out and when there's a storm or any kind of power outages and you have food shortages because people have to throw out their food and buy more food um, on,
0: on already limited incomes because they exactly had, uh, unemployment and the 600 just got cut yeah. yeah. I I understand people's frustration. I'm living it. So I, yeah. I I really do understand the frustration. <sighs> but hopefully everything will be up and running again by next week. Yeah. Uh, that's what the governor seems to be saying. He's optimistic. He thinks most or everything will be done by tomorrow, which will be the 7th, Friday. Yeah. But we'll see.
1: But that's basically it for the headlines.
0: Yeah. In right. so, case you want to <laughs> jump in, you did some research into like the judge Esther Esther
1: Yeah, Esther. Yeah, her her
0: background and other things like that. Do you want to jump into that?
1: Yeah. So I do want to say it was breaking news a couple of days ago when she did an address to the public, calling on lawmakers to make just privacy a uh, a bigger deal. So apparently, um, and everyone knows the story. Her. Family was targeted by Roy Den Hollander, an attorney and who reportedly allegedly committed suicide shortly after and has been linked to another um, murder in California, but who knows what the exact facts are. That's why we're talking about it now. But she called on lawmakers to basically keep judges' contact and residential information private because if her information was private, this wouldn't have happened to her family. So I just wanted to top the show off with that information. Um, (laughs) So Judge Esther, she um, is a federal judge, as everyone knows, for the District of New Jersey. So she was nominated to the court, and this is from Ballotopedia. She was nominated to the court by President Barack Obama, and she previously served as a federal magistrate judge for the United States Mm -hmm. District Court of the District of New Jersey from November 2006 to June 2011. And so she was, um, I think she was nominated in 2010. So she ends up leaving that former position for this position and she is a Rutgers alum. So she got her BA in 1991 from Rutgers University and then her JD in 1994 from the Rutgers University School of Law at Newark. In order to apply and be considered as she was nominated, um, she needed to do a lot of uh, background on herself. And so she, I reviewed the uh, responses of Esther who was a nominee for, at the time, this was back in 2010. So she was nominated to be the United States District Judge for the District of New Jersey. She got a number of questions from the senators of things that she needed to answer in order to uh, be approved. So what I wanted to call out is that her background, she was born in LA. Like I said before, she went to Rutgers University for both of her degrees, and she pre- she's noted to have never practiced on her own so she's always worked for someone else so she's worked as a legal intern at the office of the prosecutor in Essex county she was a law clerk to the honorable judge Eugene Cody and she was an associate under a different law firm I want to say Garces and Grabler uh, in Plainfield New Jersey she was an assistant to the federal public defender in the Office of the Federal Public Defender in Newark. And from then onward, like I said before, she was a United States magistrate judge. And that's when she gets nominated for her federal position. And she has a lot of affiliations with uh, the Historical Society in Newark. And um, she also is a part, like she was the president from 2001 to 2002 for the Hispanic Bar Association of New Jersey. And prior to that, she was a trustee. So she's very much involved in the Hispanic community. She is named by the Hispanic Business Magazine, one of the top 100 influentials. She was an honoree at the Hispanic Bar Association of New Jersey Scholarship Gala. And there's just a number of accomplishments to her name and very strong ties to historical societies and the hispanic community and the later on we'll get into it but the uh the man who attacked her family roy he has referred to her specifically as like a not like i don't know if it's considered derogatory or like racist but it kind of is i think he's referred to her as like a fiery latina um (laughs) and so in his warped sense of uh i mean he is anti-feminist and he has this whole like i don't even know what you would call his uh his manifesto website about his like he has a whole segment on jokes on race and like yeah, women and feminists. It's, like it's very <laughs> yeah. So I it kind I want
0: of reminds me of Dylan Roof a little bit.
1: Yeah. He so he
0: had like a he had like a whole manifesto that was just creepy, but like it's it's similar kind of
1: yeah. And so what I wanted to do was highlight that um, the judge Esther like she has a a strong connection to her community. And oftentimes, like, especially for women, if you are, if you're a black female, if you're Hispanic, female, Latina, people will always put your race in a different lens. And instead of, um, like, being a, a strong black woman, you are an angry black woman, you know, like you, you take these things that are. If you're a man, if you're a white man, typically it's, you know, you're strong, you're ambitious, but when you have a female doing it and a female of color, it's now put under a different lens of like a negative connotation versus like, what it really is is just like she is a she's notably a no nonsense attorney and then a judge, and this is something that comes through with her judgments and any kind of any kind of press based on her judgments is like she's very much no nonsense and she is a proud woman and proud of her heritage so a few things I wanted to highlight is that a uh, in this application, basically, there, she lists her 10 most significant cases that she's presided over, and a majority of them end up being settled out of court based from what she's written and she's pushed for. So of them, it's some of them are a little suspicious. <laughs> so she's ruled on cases with the New Jersey Department of Environmental Protection. She's ruled on cases with PSE&G. And she's also on the list, and this is the, the weird thing about it, on the list of things that she's presided over, there was one that was a slip and fall incident with the Hilton Hotels Corporation. in it was based in um, San Juan, Puerto Rico. So, and there was also like a, a case of, um, what was it? A lot of patent infringement cases. So as a judge, she gets these these cases that are, they seem like open and shut. And it's a lot of it's based on like corporate legalese and kind of, so it's just weird for me that she would say that these were the most significant cases she's overseen. And then a lot of them have just settled. So I wanna highlight that because her background and she goes into the percentage of her her practice in law prior to this uh, federal judge appointment. Of the cases that she's worked on, 90% were federal cases, like about 9% were state-based and 1% other. And of those, 95% of them are criminal. And when she's a judge, she has to list, what is it called? Her... uh refusal recusal list so basically if a judge has any kind of legal ties to anyone in particular they have to list that in their office like and, and
0: friends and family too
1: yes so yeah.
0: the, if, you, it, the the concepts so you want to know so know is, is if you're like you know if I have to rule on my brother right and yeah they all in case there's going to be obvious questions of like how impartial can I be as a judge so that's yes
1: Yes. So that's what that's for. So she's listed um, her husband's quote unquote, small criminal defense firm and uh, her mentee, who is Carol Gillian. Gillian. And I do want to also point out that there were a number of questions that were posed to her that were <laughs> basically prior to her being a judge. She would do um, She basically, like as a, as a civilian, she would write letters and propose laws and that kind of stuff as a personal person, which you're all allowed to do. So some of these questions she got, which was like, according to your questionnaire, you participated in the drafting of a March 11th. Or March 13th, 2006 letter to the US Sentencing Commission from federal, community, and public defenders. Please explain to you, the committee your role and your work on this letter. So the letter basically proposed sentencing guidelines and um, it was a little bit questionable because among the sentencing guidelines uh, opposed in the letter, um, there were uh, new increased sentences for hoaxings or hoaxes, <laughs> including a hoax calls to military family members conveying false information about, quote, death, injury, capture, or disappearance, or um, disappearance of a member of the armed forces. And then there was also stuff about sentencing guidelines based on the, like, destruction of basically memorials or uh, National Cemetery pieces. <laughs> and so it was just really interesting to see her and also, like, her beliefs on the capital punishment, on the, the death penalty. So all stuff you want to know when you're appointing a judge is, like, that, you want to know if they have any personal biases. So, whether it's their recusal list or their past written objections to different kinds of sentencing guidelines or different kinds of offenses, because you want to know that as a judge, they'll be impartial and they're going to follow the justice system. And you'll see a lot of cases across the country of judges who have, they say they will, for example, the death penalty, they say if the crime committed will. Constitute a position where someone could face the death penalty. A lot of them, if they are convicted in a death penalty state, there'll be little workarounds of you know the appeals process or certain kind of contracts, like notably, like the uh, injection. There are certain components to it that some drug manufacturers just won't produce that drug, and that's when you get states and they'll do like a a cross border. Um, transportation of the drug. So if they're able to get it or you know that the drug is somewhere else, you, you apply to have that transported and you have to have the proper chain of command for that. So judges can potentially sentence someone to death, but then also there are like inner workings in the background of that state and the the government, local government, and different kind of stuff where they will it's allowed, but it's not carried out. So it's just interesting that this kind of stuff is here. This is all just the background on her. So going into Roy, so he is, and this is the the crux of it, he's being reported as someone who hates women which I don't think is wrong about him, uh, <laughs> he has- Certainly,
0: a, I don't think that's wrong either. That is not a
1: wrong yeah. <laughs> characterization of him. But where his life intersected with the judge was a case based on, I don't know how to describe it, um, a female-led class action lawsuit that calls for the U.S. to draft females. And this came from when a girl who I think she was 17 um, at the time, she wanted to register for when she turned 18 to be drafted it seems like is the the takeaway and because she is female, she is not able to do so. And a lot of times in court cases, like um, you'll have like a, a showcase like this where it's, Oh, it's a female who uh, she wants to be in the draft. So she should be allowed to, and because she's not allowed to legally that's discrimination. But what it really opens is like the back end of it of I don't like women. I don't, (laughs) I don't think that they should have like a, a free ride in this country. And if I have to be drafted, then they should also. So it opens the gateway of that mentality. So you need something in front to allow something in back in the back of the showroom to push forward. So that's where, and she presided, I think she passed it over to another judge for whatever reason, which does happen, you know, if- a, yeah, she just another, passed, she passed it up. Yeah. So you're assigned a judge and you could, as an attorney, you could, if you want the, if the judge wants to take it on, you don't want the judge to have it, you can propose like they have some kind of, bio, I forgot what the term is. Just,
0: and, uh, well, actually, we'll come back to that. Never mind. Yeah.
1: So it, it was, she passed it over and I think- mm-hmm. I think that's the only case they've ever interacted with. Um, yeah, that's but all. pick up as well. Yeah, so it seems very strange that like he would fixate on her. I just want to underline that because that's the only case where their 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 lives overlapped. And if you know anything about um, working in the law, you have a lot of interactions with a lot of different attorneys as a judge and. It's going to be rare, I would say, that if your case was moved over to another judge, you're going to fixate on this judge. And so that's the only interaction I've seen of the two of them on paper anywhere. But I do want to highlight that this guy is, I don't, he's not, there's like another term for it, but the, he's not actively seeking revenge against women he's just trying to from what i've read and from what i've seen he's trying to let me get his like uh his website open
0: just um that, just, yeah that um the, the the his partner that he allegedly killed yes right? um <laughs> that's the thing like people are are what's confusing is he doesn't he hasn't the, the only woman that we know that he's killed or injured is is this judge right yeah and his partner also was a men's rights activist who had like the same shitty views as him, right? Yeah. That's why I've, yeah. So I don't know, there's something there that's that doesn't make sense.
1: It's something that doesn't make sense. And it's just, he, he seems like one of those guys and in the law field, you'll see a lot of, I don't wanna say, I don't wanna like stereotypical, like put a stereotype on some lawyers, but some lawyers will just try to get a case to try to make a name for themselves and he's been on oh, television you know sad. like it's, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah it's he's always open to be on camera he's always open to take a case that's like clickbait you know it's basically the equivalent of clickbait so he has like this website manifesto weird thing going on where it's roydenhollanderhisname.com and at it you can <laughs> You can see that he's very much like a Fox News lawyer, kind of. He has the Evolutionary Correct Encyclopedia on here. He's got articles that he's written. They're copywritten articles by him. I wonder if he... It's just the rambling. So it's a female's invisible weapon, discrimination against men, do men cause the wars, dollars of war, fear corrupts, fighting the Violence Against Women's Act, Uh, also finding security information in Russia. And this is a note to his like previous relationship. His ex-wife was Russian and they separated, I think after a few months of marriage.
0: Yeah. I'll dive a little bit into that.
1: Yeah. (laughs) So a lot of it is very much anti-feminist, but also it's just ramblings of a person who I just think wants attention. And like, he made this whole list of his jokes that are like quote unquote politically incorrect where he like he's listed them by topic alphabetically so you have abortion like his joke on abortion, his jokes about age um color courts, his ex-wife, females in general <laughs> being gay uh health, hip-hop class, infidelity. <laughs> manhattan in general the this is like
0: the most boomer thing possible yes so of course
1: (laughs) so it goes on and on it's uh how many pages is it it's 13 pages of his jokes and that's a very
0: funny man Um, very
1: funny man is what you need to understand about him but and i i I, this is the point i want to make about his coverage in the media it's very much a focus on him hating women and this is why he's attacked this judge but what i want to underline is he didn't have many interactions with the judge that i can find i there's actually on his website he li- like in his ramblings he only has one link to a federal judge that he's called out by name and like has her wikipedia page so like linked to it so the fact that he doesn't have that for judge es- esther it, it's interesting that the focus is so much on him hating women and him being so focused on her when the only case we could find online that connects the two of them is one that she passed off to another judge to be ruled on. And arguably that case would be huge if in fact women were involved in the draft and it's something that Democratic candidate, I think it was, uh, who was from Texas? Uh, Mayor Mayor Pete. Mayor Pete. No, Mayor Mayor Pete is from Indiana. Oh my bad, my bad. So Mayor Pete from Indiana, he was proposing that everyone, every citizen was put in the military similar to Israel. Israel.
0: Yeah, what a great model country. And so (laughs)
1: like
0: terror state.
1: So what I and what I think I want people to connect to is like Mayor Pete was arguably like a front runner because people loved him. He was making a name for himself. He was a mayor um, from you said Indiana. Indiana. Um, So, it, it and he was on every, like, front page headline, everyone was talking about him, but he had this tucked in, in his, like, something that you have to dig around for. Like, not a lot of people like were was, talking about it. It was, like, on his it.
0: website, but he just didn't talk about it. Yeah. it was central on his website as to what
1: he yes. was. Yeah. So, do I think that because he was a lawyer for this case for the female draft— does that mean that he has motive to attack a judge that passed the case onward to be ruled by another judge? I don't Which
0: think didn't, so. That's what. Yeah, I don't yeah. think so there's some of that. But
1: yeah, yeah, and and <laughs> so what I do want to call, and this is like I couldn't find much connection. So this is like the tail end of uh, my piece of information, and you know, not steering the blame away from Roy. It seems like he is the one that did this Um, and the headlines are that he's been confirmed as the one who did this to um, the judge's family. But I do want to point out that a lot of times these cases are picked up in media and it's a flurry of commotion and people pick apart one thing, which is he's an anti-feminist lawyer. And what I do want to highlight is that he was someone who was dying of, he was, he had terminal cancer and he from what i've read he didn't have much long to live and because of that a person with you know nothing else to lose he didn't have any children he wasn't married he basically had his his cases but that was just it so i want to point that out as maybe there's something else going on maybe he didn't act alone and <laughs> This is what where we get into our conspiracy part of it. Like I don't think he hates women enough to kill women because he didn't kill a single woman in his attacks, his suspected attacks. Um, well,
0: you, well, you I think what just to make it clear what what you're saying is you're questioning that this was his misogyny was sufficient motive that it, yes. it, that 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 it was clearly a necessary factor, maybe, right? Like like, yeah. like it, it uh, obviously contributed to his worldview but he clearly doesn't seem like targeted uh, Esther Salas, Judge Judge Salas on that basis alone given that their only interaction was that we could find is like not even unfavorable to Roy Den Hollander.
1: Yeah. And I yeah, I would I, I would love for that to be the case. You know, I would love for it to be open and shut, but oftentimes it's not. It um make sense. <laughs> <laughs> uh so what I want to do is highlight a case that the judge did have a lot of high publicity on, which was the, uh, I mean, based on her background in working in federal cases and f- federal criminal cases, and um her one of her most notable cases that are is in, you know, pop culture was her ruling on the Jujite, uh family for tax evasion. So she, was quoted and she what was pretty hard on them in her her review of the case and i guess this will do so this is an abc 7 article so the judge Esther she ruled on this so she ruled that the couple when they were sentenced to prison time for their their tax fraud case Uh, She sentenced Joe to 41 months, so nearly 41, nearly, or not 40 years, (laughs) nearly four years behind bars, and Teresa the Real House Wife of New Jersey star, she was given a 15-month sentence, and then they had a two-year supervised release following their prison terms. And also, Joe ended up being deported to Italy because he never became a legal U.S. citizen. And she also ruled that they owed $414,000 in restitution due immediately. And... um, she said to them, specifically to Joe, she said, I do wish you luck. You made some serious mistakes and you have to pay for them, but you have a lot to live for. In other articles, she went into specifics and basically said they should be ashamed of themselves, all this kind of stuff. And I wanted to note that a lot of the the court case was covered in the, the Real Housewives of New Jersey show. And prominent figure who uh, kept being seen anytime um, the case was talked about was their lawyer, who is uh, attorney James Leonard Jr. And he is an Atlantic City lawyer. And anyone that knows uh, the Real Housewives of New Jersey, a lot of them are North Jersey residents. So this Atlantic City lawyer, Leonard, he is often seen on camera during this time of filming and he ends up becoming a lawyer for Teresa's sister-in-law and brother, who are also on the show currently, and um, their cousins, their two cousins, who are also on the show for I think like a couple seasons. And it's interesting that he is their lawyer because he is known as um, one of the top young criminal defense attorneys. So the fact that he is Teresa and Joe's lawyer is... Okay, because they are, you know, they are criminals, but the fact that he's doing um, contact negotiation for a TV show was weird, especially for the connections of the, those Real Housewife family members and their references to Patterson, which is a low key connection to mob ties. And he specifically has been known for um, representing a number of Philadelphia mob members. And him being based in Atlantic City is a convenient thing because... Uh, I don't want to say there's a lot of criminal activity in Atlantic City, but it's notorious <laughs> for its connection to the mob. And even Donald Trump had to work with the mob, like notably to build construction and um, basically run as casinos in Atlantic City. And as is with New Jersey and New York history, with any kind of construction, there were complete ties. There's like constant um, references to the mob being connected into the different labor unions and heavily with construction and construction contracts were negotiated amongst crime families and they were then dispersed the funds for the building contracts um, amongst the families like you would be awarded say uh, a skyscraper one One building and then the next family over would get the next contract through. And sometimes you get multiple contracts to benefit the family, but it's just a, a known thing in New Jersey and any kind of like mafia documentary is that connection. So him being a prominent attorney that has these connections to the mom. Is interesting that he's so connected into the Housewives, and also he had a lot of face time with Judge Salas. So <laughs> I want to note that he has had connections to the Colombo crime family. There's actually a Colombo crime family member who was on the Housewives who was upset that the attorney, Leonard, advised him not attending Teresa's book signing event And he had a, had a, I can't find it online anywhere, but he had a fit that he wasn't allowed. And he notoriously said like a lot of stuff on, on camera saying that like, he wasn't afraid of anything. He wasn't afraid of like being on TV. He wasn't, he said like, nothing stops me, not the bomb, not the government, not nothing. That's my boy referring to, uh, um, his, his son not being allowed to attend this event on camera. So it's, I want to note that there are other figures, and you're going to go a lot more into this, um, that have had a lot more face time and possibly have a lot more to gain from intimidating a judge, a federal judge. So that that's basically the end of my research into this case and I think you're gonna go more into um, something we talk a lot about on the show which is
0: the global elite <laughs> but um, it is worth mentioning it because uh, one of the things that is less talked about now it originally a lot of a lot of people were talking about it when the case uh, when this uh, attempted assassination occurred people talked about the Deutsche Bank case and re- that she was working on in relation to epstein and now that just pretty much is gone from news and and is dismissed as a conspiracy theory um and uh, i don't think that's good because one a conspiracy theory has a wide ranging meaning as we say a lot of times on the show uh i think we've mentioned before on the show that it's the history of the word conspiracy theory actually literally comes from the cia spreading dismissing ideas about the death of jfk as just conspiracy theory which meant was supposed to mean like how we mean it today, like nonsense yeah. stuff that only crazy people believe.
1: Tin Whereas hat
0: conspira- as we know, conspiracy is a real thing that people get in trouble for, which means that people get together to plan illegal acts that they conspire to do. Yeah. So I wanna first give a little the briefest possible introduction of Jeffrey Epstein and Ghislaine Maxwell or Ghislaine Maxwell.
1: However um, you pronounce it.
0: <laughs> However you pronounce her name. Because uh, it's absolutely relevant to this case, or at least needs to be a factor that has to be considered. And it's kind of complex. So as a brief overview, Jeffrey Epstein uh, was a known sex trafficker of women and minors and played a central role, along with his co-conspirator Ghislaine Maxwell, in an actual, really existing international sex trafficking conspiracy linking many world leaders politicians business owners and even members of academia epstein had a private island where he would fly his high-profile guests in on his private plane which was known disgustingly as the lolita express and his island resort was heavily surveilled with almost every room having a camera in addition he also had property in new york city where abuses uh, also would occur
1: and also on his island, he had his own internet service. He had like yeah. everything was state of the art equipment to surveil. It wasn't just one
0: mansion, too. I think yeah. it was like a couple of different facilities and buildings. He had it, properties
1: all over a, the globe. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Ghislaine Maxwell is known as a rich British socialite whose father, Robert Maxwell, was a British media mogul who had connections to both British and Israeli intelligence agencies. He mysteriously died in a freak yacht accident, which many believe was a murderer. And by many, I don't mean random people. Many biographers of the Maxwell family, including both Ghislaine Maxwell and her father, because, again, he was a well-known British media mogul, believe he was murdered, even though it was ruled as a suicide. That's an interesting theme to keep in the back of our minds. Yeah, how many? (laughs) uh, Murders uh, related (laughs) around the Maxwell-Epstein stuff being counted as suicides. So Ghislaine Maxwell's role in the international pedophile conspiracy ring was to procure underage women for Epstein and his clients and her clients. In addition, she personally engaged, according to court documents, in some of the sexual abuse of trafficked women and minors. In 2008, Epstein pleaded guilty to one count of felony solicitation and one count of procuring a minor for prostitution. He secured an illegal, secret, non-prosecution agreement from the then U.S. attorney in Miami, Florida, Alex Acosta, who would later become Trump's, well, now former Secretary of Labor, <laughs> in, and in which this deal granted immunity to, quote, any and all potential co-conspirators. That included Maxwell, but also included literally anyone else involved. So, quote, Epstein was sentenced to 13 months in prison where he was allowed to spend 12 hours a day outside of the facility on work release. He was also made to register as a sex offender, and the victims of the case were not notified that a plea deal was being made and believed the case was going ahead during the negotiations as part of the illegal part. Epstein used his 12-hour work release to continue carrying out his pedophile rapist activities, according to reporting by the Daily Beast, this is where things start getting strange, if that, as if it isn't already. <laughs> According to reporting by the Daily Beast, Epstein's name, I was told, had been raised by the Trump transition team when Alexander Acosta, the former U.S. attorney in Miami, who'd infamously cut the Epstein, a non-prosecution plea deal back in 2007 was being interviewed for the job of labor secretary. The plea deal put a hard stop to a separate federal investigation of alleged sex crimes with minors and trafficking. Is the Epstein case going to cause a problem for the confirmation hearings? Acosta had been asked. Acosta had explained, (laughs) breezily, apparently, that back in the day he had just one meeting on the Epstein case. He'd cut the non-prosecution deal with one Epstein's attorneys because he had had, quote, been told to back off, and that Epstein was above his pay grade, quote, I was told Epstein belonged to intelligence and to leave it alone, end quote. He told his interviewers in the Trump transition who evidently thought that this was a sufficient answer and went ahead and hired Acosta. The Labor Department had no comment when asked about this incident, and also pretty much no mainstream journalist anywhere has bothered digging into what the hell did Alexander Acosta meant by Epstein having uh, belonged to intelligence so
1: yeah i also want to note that like uh there's footage of epstein and trump being very very chummy oh yeah and (laughs) and you know he said that he wishes uh gasoline however you pronounce her name he wishes her well in her in her court appearances
0: and he clarified that later in the interview where he explained that he, like, literally just meant that he wished her well, which is just strange that he clarified to say the same exact thing. Uh, Anyway, (laughs) so after serving 13 months, Epstein was released from his, like, extremely favorable prison conditions and returned to doing what he actually had never really ceased doing. And then in 2019, Epstein was again arrested and infamously suicided in prison in what is obviously the, like, most obvious assassination cover-up in world history – While Epstein was getting suicided, Ghislaine Maxwell was allowed to run freely around the country and the world for about a year. She appeared in California, Brazil, London, France, and elsewhere, while her lawyers attempted to seal court documents, implicating many prominent individuals. In July 2020, she was finally arrested. So, I just want to give a quick... Yeah, go ahead.
1: I just want to note, you know, in conspiracy theories throughout our time, you know, you have... Like the JFK assassination. You have the moon landing. You have like all these infamous cases from the previous administrations. I want to question: like, is this conspiracy of Epstein suiciding? Um, is that because it's the Trump administration that it's being so mishandled? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> uh,
0: I, I I I think there could be something there with like the Trump administration purposely mishandling this case because Trump is so implicated in the Epstein Yeah, stuff. But, but then again, so is almost everybody. But typically, uh, so it wouldn't be so
1: saying. obvious. Like, you would have, exactly. you know, it lot. wouldn't be so quick. It wouldn't be with, you know...
0: Well, they're they're brazen. Think about it. Yeah. Uh, we know, for instance, that... Uh, what was her name? I, I forget. I'm blanking on her name, but it, this is famous. Everyone can look it up. She is a reporter for, I think, ABC News is one of them, where the video was leaked where she came out and said that she had all the information about Epstein years ago, especially about Prince Andrew and all that stuff. And she and she was ready to report it. But her higher up said no, because yeah. the royal baby was about to happen and they didn't want to lose their contacts with the royal baby. So it's and also you get people like, for instance, we know George Stephanopoulos and other people in the media have attended like events where Epstein's been there. And of course, he's had a lot of events. So it doesn't necessarily mean they're guilty. But when you have fa- funny pictures where you're holding hands and, or, and like, you know, uh, with your arm around the shoulder of Epstein, stuff like that kind of lets you kind of that defense doesn't really work that well that like oh yeah we're just at a party and i didn't really talk to him at all it's like yeah. you have a picture of you like smiling and laughing with him yeah um so like
1: that's my favorite of print andrew a lot of this
0: stuff is all <laughs> out in the open and there's some obviously something much deeper here i believe and i think they're brazen about it in the sloppy kind of way because uh like who's gonna do the digging yeah it's just like independent journalists So I just want to give a quick pause and do a quick overview of some of the prominent individuals with ties to Epstein and Maxwell because I think it's really important. So first off, we have Attorney General William Barr. His father, Donald Barr, gave Epstein a teaching position at the prestigious Dalton School in spite of Epstein having zero credentials, no teaching experience at all. Interestingly enough, Donald Barr wrote a really weird science fiction novel about aliens that kidnap humans for sex trafficking. Interesting. Interesting, yes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so William Barr himself was also involved in preventing the church committee hearings from investigating the abuses by the CIA. The church committee hearings were, as it, as it kind of said, were hearings that were set up about the CIA committing widespread abuses internal to the United States and elsewhere. And William Barr was instrumental in making those hearings less effective. The next one we have is Bill Clinton, who, of course, flew on the Loly Express dozens of times. He was constantly seen with Epstein. Uh, Ghislaine Maxwell went to Chelsea Clinton's wedding, which occurred in 2010, two years after Epstein was already a convicted sex trafficker, and everyone knew Ghislaine Maxwell and Epstein were like a thing. Epstein frequently donated money to Bill Clinton's campaigns. For example, in September 1993, Epstein donated $10,000 to the White House Historical Association, which then allowed him to attend a donor's reception, also attended by Bill and Hillary. There are many connections like these with uh, the Clinton family. Even though the Democrats are trying to currently hide their closeness to it, it's evident from anyone that looks at this evidence, it's, it's very public, that the Epstein and the Clintons were very close. For example, sometime in 1995, Lynn Forrester uh, de Rothschild, yeah, those Rothschilds, wrote a personal letter to Bill Clinton thanking him for introducing Epstein to her. Quote, Dear Mr. President, it was a pleasure to see you recently at Senator Kennedy's house. There was too much to discuss and too little time. Using my 15 seconds of access to discuss Jeffrey Epstein and currency stabilization, and it just kind of trails off. So, as you can see, like the Rothschild family famously are an extremely wealthy family from, from banking. Now, obviously, I just want to be absolutely clear a lot of anti Semites and crazy far right conspiracy theorists that fall into like anti Semitism think the Rothschilds like control the world through some kind of like Jewish conspiracy. Absolutely, I'm not saying that here. Rich families like the Rothschilds, Clintons, and elsewhere. They don't—they don't require being Jewish to carry out awful things. They, they, they're already rich and powerful, so they're able to carry out awful things. That's what—that's kind of what I'm saying. So, like, I'm just giving you an idea of the extent to which Epstein and Maxwell had connections—not just to presidents and yeah. like major people, but also like people Making in industry, finance, everything. Yeah. So Donald Trump, of course, as you mentioned, like the Clintons had tons of connections to, and his whole family to Epstein and Maxwell. Uh, like the Democrats, also Republicans, are basically trying to bury and ignore this evidence and try to say it's just the Clintons, which is actually kind of a funny thing that's going on right now. It's like the Dems are saying, look, look at Trump's connections to the uh, to Epstein. And the Republicans, quote, are, uh, Republicans are like, no, look at Clintons. And it's like, you both yeah. are really dirty and disgusting.
1: To quote Trump, there are bad people on both sides.
0: <laughs> yeah, actually, yeah,
1: <excellent.
0: laughs> Fair enough. In 1990, Epstein purchased property in Palm Beach less than two miles from Mar-a-Lago. There are numerous pictures of Trump together with Epstein and Maxwell. In addition, we know from some court documents that uh, some of the trafficked women were picked up at Mar-a-Lago and more stuff goes into that. I don't have time. Like I said, I can't dig into all this. There's there's entire podcasts, by the way, Uh, one called True Anon. It's really good. They have like 80 plus episodes uh, each like an hour long or something. And all of it like digs into the Epstein stuff. So like that's why I'm saying this is the briefest possible overview. There's so much here. Because yeah. I think that's also why it's hard to for the mainstream media to report about it, because not only do they're not interested, but and they've been advised
1: against, against it. Against,
0: and they've been advised against it as we already know. It, it digs into a lot of stuff. So very quickly, additional co-conspirators. These are the people who have, through court documents, are known to be involved in this kind of stuff. We have Les Wexner, Sarah Kellen, Nadia Marcin, Marcin Sova, uh Emmy Taylor, Jean-Luc Brunel. Glenn Dublin, Adriana Ross, Leslie Groff, and Simberly Espinoza. In addition to other abusers, we know from court documents and other evidence that you have Prince Andrew, the former Democratic Senator George J. Mitchell, former Democratic Governor Bill Richardson, former Israeli Prime Minister Ehud Barak, computer scientist uh, Marvin Minsky, billionaire uh, financier Glenn Dublin, and uh, lawyer and professor Alan Dershowitz, And the former president of Harvard, Larry Summers, who Larry Summers was also part of the economic team for Barack Obama. So from you can see from this brief overview is that Epstein and Maxwell's connections are vast. They reach to the highest levels of multiple governments and important industries like finance technology. In addition, you can also see that they possibly have connections to more than one intelligence agency, such as MI6, CIA, Mossad. We know, for instance, that Robert Maxwell, who is Maxwell's dad. Uh, uh was speculated to have connections to both MI6 and uh Mossad and the MI6 also didn't know from I, I read some documents on it that they couldn't tell whether or not he was a double agent or a triple agent with possibly Russia as well like the no one really knew there's just weird connections here and as, as I again, just to re- reiterate Alexander Acosta himself said in in the meeting to Trump's transition team about becoming Secretary of Labor that he was like told to back off Epstein case because he used intelligence we don't know who told him that. We just know that he said it. And no um, one's going
1: to question him further about it.
0: <laughs> no one's going to question him further about it. And, and it's important. So you already kind of gave the background. I'm not going to dig into it. I had some stuff here about uh, when the murder took place and th- things like that. We already kind of talked about that. Uh, we already talked about how Dan Hollander is was a so-called men's rights activist and self-described anti-feminist. And that he appeared in before this, uh, before Salas, in just a connection to basically one lawsuit that didn't even rule unfavorably. So he. He did sort of write about Salas and his frustrations with her. Uh, You you, you mentioned that, but it's still...
1: It's more like he is frustrated with female judges in general. And like him, yeah.
0: He said Salas, uh, he wrote that Salas clearly wanted to further her career by moving up the judicial ladder to the Court of Appeals or maybe even the Supreme Court. After all, there was now a Latina at the seat in uh, in the form of Sotomayor on the court. The mainstream news is as we've been saying kind of focusing narrowly on his anti-feminism and his racist beliefs yeah but uh a, a really good journalist that I, I respect whitney webb she works for Mid press news uh she does great investigative work wrote a article called alleged salas family assailant previously worked for u.s israeli intelligence linked firm so i'm gonna uh it's a short article but it's Jam-packed information, so I'm gonna read uh, like extensively from it, um, and we
1: won't but- hear it anywhere else.
0: <laughs> yeah, honestly, seriously. So she says, "quote The case Salas is set to oversee is a class-action lawsuit brought by Deutsche Bank investors." who alleged that Deutsche Bank, quote, failed to properly monitor customers that the bank itself deemed to be high risk, including, among others, the convicted sex offender Jeffrey Epstein, end quote. The case came after the New York State Department of Financial Services had settled with Deutsche Bank over the bank's failures to cut ties with Epstein-linked accounts, resulting in Deutsche Bank paying a $150 million fine. Deutsche Bank, unlike other financial institutions, Failed to close all of its accounts linked to Epstein until less than a month prior to his arrest last year, even though the bank had identified him as high-risk years before.
1: Suspicious.
0: Yes, it is. With law enforcement sources now claiming that Esther Salas was not the intended target of the attack, and some media reports now suggesting that Den Hollander's motive was related to his dislike of feminism— it appears that there are efforts underway to distance Sunday's tragic shooting from Salas' recent assignment to the Epstein case, which occurred just four days before the tragic shooting. The most likely reason for such any damage control effort lies in the fact that both U.S. law enforcement investigations and mainstream media reports have consistently downplayed the connections of Jeffrey Epstein's sexual trafficking and financial crimes to intelligence agencies in the U.S. and Israel. Similarly, Roy Hollander's previously Previously worked for a New York firm that has been described as a private CIA with ties to those countries, intelligence agencies, and also ties to Deutsche Bank. So according to his website, Den Hollander, I'm still reading from the article, Den Hollander once worked for Kroll Associates Moscow office, where he managed and upgraded Kroll's delivery of intelligence and security in the former Soviet Union from 1999 to 2000. A few years prior, Kroll had won a considerable bid from the Russian government to locate money allegedly spirited out of the country by the directors of state enterprises when they realized that privatization was inevitable. The Kroll executives in charge of the Russian portfolio prior to Den Hollander were E. Norbert Garrett, a former CIA station chief in Cairo and Kuwait, and Joseph Rossetti, the former chief of security for IBM. During that period and prior to his hiring at Kroll, Den Hollander worked as a lawyer in Russia regarding legal and business issues, including international financing and marketing, and married a Russian woman who he met during this time that he subsequently claimed was part of the Russian mafia. Founded by Jules Kroll in 1972, Kroll Associates would later become known as the CIA of Wall Street and Wall Street's private eye, and was alleged to be an actual front for the CIA by French intelligence agencies, according to the Washington Post. Washington Post is super friendly with the CIA and stuff. Like, this is mainstream news saying that this place was (laughs) related to the CIA. Yeah. Part of the reason for this nickname, which was once a boasting point for top Kroll executives, owes to the fact that the firm frequently hired former CIA and FBI officers, as well as former members of MI6 and Mossad. K2 Intelligence, the successor to Kroll Associates founded by Jules Kroll and his son Jeremy in 2009, has similar hiring practices counting former FBI and NSA officials among its ranks, alongside former high-ranking members of the Israeli Defense Forces and Shin Bet, Israel's domestic intelligence agency. Kroll has boasted ties to the Bush family with Jonathan Bush, that's George Bush Sr.'s brother, serving on its corporate advisory board, and Kroll was also employed by Bill Clinton's first presidential campaign. Though it is mainly involved in corporate security investigations, Kroll has also frequently investigated targets of Washington's foreign policy, including Saddam Hussein, and was also the company tapped to reorganize Enron in 2002. Kroll Associates has also had a long as also, sorry, has long been a subject of scrutiny for those that question the official narratives of the attacks in September 11, 2001, given that the company was put in charge of security for the World Trade Center complex from 1993 bombing up through 2001 attacks and has no shortage of ties to companies and individuals that profited from the attacks. Kroll itself experienced a surge in business following the events of 9-11, a day when its top executives all avoided going to work despite ostensibly providing security for the complex.
1: Interesting.
0: I know every part about
1: this.
0: (laughs) So skipping ahead a little bit, as you can kind of see, they have big connections to really important uh, places. So she writes that Kroll executives over the years have commented to the press on their reputation as a private CIA and have also noted the advantages of being private as opposed to public intelligence agency. For instance, E. Norbert Garrett, the former CIA official turned Kroll executive, told The New Yorker in 2009 the following, quote, Garrett explained the disparity between what Kroll could do and what the CIA could do in a place like Sudan. They have to rely on public and covert sources, he said. But we can go straight to Salah Idris. He's our client, after all. We can go straight to his friends. We can be manipulated, of course, shown incomplete information. Sometimes we have to walk away from a case if we don't trust somebody, but we definitely have some advantages, end quote. So now let's talk about the Epstein uh, connection. She writes, Aside from Kroll's associates, Own role as a private intelligence firm, it is worth pointing out that Jules Kroll had an odd meeting with Robert Maxwell, Gislaine Maxwell's father, shortly before his death, alleged by most Maxwell biographers and his family (laughs) to have been a homicide. Roughly two weeks before his death, Kroll met with Maxwell at New York Hemsley's Palace Hotel. According to a 1992 article in Vanity Fair, Maxwell had ushered Kroll and two other men out onto the patio so that their conversation could not be overheard or bugged, with Maxwell allegedly seeking to hire Kroll to uncover people out to get him, to destroy his empire, to cripple him financially, and destroy his life and business in any way that he could, end quote. The article further notes that the meeting broke up with Maxwell's promising that he would send Kroll what he could, a memorandum of suspicions and unexplained events. Maxwell was working on this compendium, said the anonymous participant in the meeting, when he met his death. Kroll Associates was never formally hired. Much more recently, Kroll came under scrutiny after being hired by disgraced media mogul Harvey Weinstein, alongside the private Mossad for Hire firm Black Cube. Weinstein had been instructed to hire Black Cube by Ehud Barak, the former Israeli Prime Minister uh, and Israeli military intelligence head, with close ties to Jeffrey Epstein and a frequent visitor of Epstein's residences. Weinstein hired Kroll to harass and cyberstalk women who had accused him of sexual assault. Weinstein was a one-time business partner of Jeffrey Epstein's, and the testimony of Epstein's victim, Maria Farmer, strongly implies that Ghislaine Maxwell and Epstein shared women and potentially underage girls with the film producer. The Daily Beast later reported that Epstein had used his ties to Weinstein to impress and recruit potential victims, and at least one of the victims had landed a role in a film produced by a owned company due to Epstein's ties to Weinstein. In addition, Kroll's longtime executive, Vice President for Operations James Bucknam was previously a chief advisor to former FBI Director Louis Free and is now CEO of the Free Group. Free has since become notorious for having been hired by Epstein Associate lawyer Alan Dershowitz to, in- quote, investigate, unquote, the scandal. The Epstein scandal, and was also involved in the cover up of the Penn State child molestation and abuse scandal. Free was also director for the FBI when the bureau declined the invest- to investigate accusations regarding Leslie Wexner, Ghislaine Maxwell, and Jeffrey Epstein, and their involvement in the sex trafficking of minors. First reported to the FBI in 1996 by Marina Farmer. Isn't interesting. that interesting? Isn't that just <laughs> like, like it's mind blowing? Just like the amount of connections and tightness that there has, and no one's digging into this, but pretty much Whitney uh, Webb and a few others. Yeah.
1: And I guess us now. (laughs) And now us,
0: yeah. So I just want to, it's almost done. I just want to read a little bit more because it's just jam-packed with info that is absolutely relevant. So let's talk about Jeffrey Epstein's link to Deutsche Bank. Jeffrey Epstein's ties to Deutsche Bank go back decades and potentially earlier. Still reading from the article. After working for Bear Stearns earlier in his career and then a so-called financial bounty hunter with ties to intelligence-linked arms dealers in Wall Street, Epstein set up a Ponzi scheme with Steve hoffenberg called tower financial which collapsed in 1993 and subsequently landed hoffenberg 20 years in prison epstein's name despite being a clear co-conspirator was suspiciously dropped in the case during the trial hoffenberg subsequently alleged that epstein used his ill-gotten gains from tower financial alongside a series of suspect loans from deutsche bank to create his investment company hoffenberg subsequently told the observer the following quote his lead bank is deutsche bank germany that runs the lead on his financial trust company they run the platform in the trade trading uh, of the currencies for Epstein and with Epstein. He's never disclosed to the investors that provide the money to Deutsche Bank his true legacy. That's securities fraud. End quote. Following that point, Epstein's financial ties and activities, aside from his Deutsche Bank-enabled investment vehicle, were publicly conducted through Bear Stearns until its 2008 collapse and J.P. Morgan. When J.P. Morgan dropped Epstein as a client... He again turned to Deutsche Bank in 2013, becoming a client of the bank's private wealth division in New York. Anti-money laundering compliance officers at the bank's branches in New York and Florida subsequently flagged Epstein's accounts in 2015, in 2016, and again in 2019, creating suspicious activity reports regarding the movement of large amounts of funds tied to Epstein-linked accounts outside of the United States. However... The bank did not fully terminate their relationship with Epstein until June 2019, just a few weeks prior to his arrest last year. Epstein was believed to have dozens of counts with the bank at one point, those accounts were shut down slowly over a period of months beginning in late 2018. 2018. The narrative emerging that Den, Den Hollander was motivated to kill Esther Salas' husband and sons due to his hatred of feminism is a rapid attempt to explain away a story that clearly warrants further investigation, albeit into avenues that mainstream media and powerful individuals in the public and private sectors prefer to remain untouched. This is uh, Whitney Webb. As the heinous acts targeting the Salas family has shown, individuals with a lot to lose are willing to go the farthest extremes to keep the ties of Epstein to the financial sector and to the intelligence out of sight and out of mind. Indeed, just last December, Epstein's personal banker at Deutsche Bank, Thomas Bowers, the chief of Deutsche Bank's private wealth uh, uh, management division in New York from 2012 to 2015, was found dead in his home. His death has quickly ruled a suicide by hanging. Interesting. Right? Bowers also signed off on unorthodox loans, not just for Epstein, but Donald Trump, who has his own ties to the Epstein scandal. While some have been quick to point out that Trump, as well as his son-in-law, Jared Kushner, could stand to lose from potential revelations in the Epstein Deutsche Bank trial, there are other power brokers tied to both Epstein and Deutsche Bank who could also be feeling the heat. For instance, Lynn Forrester, the Rothschild, who I previously mentioned, who became close to Epstein in the early 1990s and subsequently connected him to the Clinton White House and later to Alan Dershowitz he is intimately involved in Deutsche Bank microfinance consortium. I don't think I mentioned this, but Alan Dershowitz is closely allied to Trump and has been defending him from Epstein-related accusations. They're both being accused of raping minors. Yeah. So it's it's just interesting how all these people are starting to band together now. As aside from aside from Epstein's use of money. Deutsche Bank has been notorious for years as a cesspool of money laundering for organized crime networks, paying $14.5 billion in fines in just seven years for official action taken against the bank by several governments. It is highly likely that the brutality of what happened outside of Salah's family home on Sunday is more related to Deutsche Bank than Epstein, as numerous powerful individuals have ties to the embattled bank. Even the recent move by Attorney General William Barr to remove the Southern District of New York District Attorney General Jeffrey Berman from his post appears to be more related to Berman's efforts to investigate Deutsche Bank than the Epstein scandal, as some have alleged. This is because Barr's new pick for Berman's old job counts Deutsche Bank among his former clients and notably defended the bank in a recent anti-money laundering probe, whereas Berman was investigating the bank, albeit for political reasons that took aim at the bank's dealings with Trump. While Epstein's egregious and criminal actions targeted minors to become public knowledge, his role in facilitating white-collar crime, money laundering, and financial frauds on behalf of corporations, governments, and oligarchs remains sorely undercovered. And despite his role in such activities proceeding and continuing after his involvement in intelligence-linked sexual blackmail operation, it arguably remains one of the key components of the Epstein scandal, get the most poorly understood and most underinvestigated. If anything, the tragic events at the Salas family home on Sunday, what appears to be a rapid yet shoddy cover-up of the shooter's ties to Kroll Associates and act- actual motives, reveal that Epstein's financial ties are more frightening to certain powerful individuals and institutions than his trove of a sexual blackmail. End uh, reading from the article. I just wanted to, I looked up, because I was curious. Uh, this isn't the first time that an employee of someone, or someone connected to Deutsche Bank mysteriously died. So in 2014, a Deutsche Bank regulator, regulator lawyer was found dead in New York after committing suicide. He had been closely involved in negotiating legal issues from Deutsche Bank, such as the probe by regulators of banks, over allegations they had manipulated the LIBOR benchmark interest rate, as well as currency markets. Earlier this year, former Deutsche Bank manager William Rocksmith, who had close ties to the co-chief executive Anshu, uh, Anshu Jane, had been... Found dead at his London home, and also appears to have been a suicide. Uh, that's actually this article is kind of old. Enough. I think it was 2015. Um, but more information on that. Uh, Brock Smith, a U.S. national, was a key founder of Deutsche's investment bank and one many bankers, including Jane, who had joined Germany's flagship lender from Merrill Lynch in the 1990s when Deutsche launched plans to compete with Wall Street. As a head of the risk and capital optimization, he was also the principal player in the Deutsche Bank's efforts to unwind its riskier positions and to reduce the size of its balance sheet in the wake of the global financial crisis. And of course, Epstein's private banker at Deutsche and Citibank was found swinging from a rope ruled suicide. So this is a lot of information. So I think it's worth for us like pack, uh, unpacking it together. I kind of agree with uh, Whitney Webb that, it, yeah. that she presents a compelling case with lots of information that... Is All of it, which is basically reported in the mainstream news elsewhere and at different times, about what Kroll Associates is, about the fact that this guy worked for Kroll Associates, Kroll Associates' connections to Deutsche Bank and other major players, and all of these major players all having connections with Epstein. And I feel like the fact that none of this is covered or even even just mentioned who his previous employer was, that he talks about, that he brags about being a uh, private CIA, and that they personally bragged about and and talked about how they were a private CIA— was one of their selling points. None of this stuff being mentioned uh, is just bad journalism.
1: Yeah, and he he also, if you go on his um, manifesto website thing, um, if you look at his resume, he's worked for the U.S. Department of Treasury. <laughs> yeah, and he has the schools he he was educated at: Columbia, George Washington University, Brooklyn Law School. He has, and he's also worked for uh, ABC TV. So he has all these connections to media, to government and international connections from from Kroll, it's highly suspicious that everyone's fixating on the most obvious point about him. If you look at his headline of his, his site, it says the anti-feminist lawyer. And-
0: That's such a surface level understanding so, of the situation, isn't it?
1: Yeah, so it's so easy to say, oh, like, he hates women, he did this, but it's highly suspect that- he had minimal interaction with this de- judge that we know of only one case that's cited over and over again about the the sexism in in the draft. That's it. and it's so, it, so it's the, a the, yeah I'm you sorry. open a lot more doors and a lot more conversations and a lot more investigative research to be opened if you look into. The banking connections if you look into the other cases that were have been on her docket and that were going to be on her docket like it, it's very strange very very strange to make this connection and make that be the the bow on the case to tie I, it all up
0: I, I agree completely so we basically have three competing theories the mainstream theory is that as you said he's just a crazy sexist like racist person who had a personal vendetta against this judge who by their own admission didn't even really rule against him at all. Yeah. Uh so then he decides to kill her along with his associate like a week prior. Even though his associate like was also a men's rights activist uh, and we don't really have any clear understanding of what No the more motive questions, was.
1: Mike. There's just
0: no more questions. <laughs> the other the other theory is that it was a mob tie you kind of went through why that seems not it's unlikely, but less likely. I would less say.
1: likely, but it's also more contact between a group of people and the victim. You know what I mean? Yeah, like that's something exactly. I want to highlight, and that's what gets us to your spotlight on the bank connections and Epstein, which exactly. is
0: so like yeah. So like we, we what you what you did was nicely connect. back fact, that her family does see, like if there was people that had motive to kill her uh just on that alone right it, it would be possibly these mobs that she's ruled uh against the issue the one issue though is that it's not common for judges to have assassination attempts against them or even to exceed like uh, yeah it's not something that happens frequently so it, it would have to be like why like why would this be the case on any of those right and also and then then you have to answer the bigger question it's like so how would the mob like why would they reach out to this person like what contact did they have to this person to do the killing yeah. Unless you're, unless people think that this guy isn't the killer, but it does seem to be have the case that, that there's good evidence this person actually is the killer. Which then, if you dig into him, as I did, you see there's some weird stuff here linking Deutsche Bank and a bunch of other stuff that makes it seem like this is more likely uh, the case. Yeah. Um and these are questions that need to be deep, more deeply investigated.
1: Yeah, and um, just like in any, is, uh, yeah. Stuff. And in any kind of criminal case, you if people are pushing forward a explanation that is surface level and refusing to acknowledge any other possible motives, that is suspect to me. I and-
0: want to yeah, address one counter argument that everyone always uses. Uh, it's called Occam's razor. People misuse this. So what someone will say is, okay, well, you're saying that- uh, It's all the way to uh, the top. It goes all the way to the top, and it's like all kind of complicated conspiracy, whereas I'm just saying this guy was crazy. Mine has the less amount of assumptions, so mine must be right, because we don't know for sure, so it's better to just believe mine. Here's why that's a misuse of Occam's Razor. Occam's Razor is about two equally explanatory things, right? Things that equally explain uh, a, a problem or a phenomenon. The one that requires the less amount of assumptions would be right so like imagine if we're trying to say what's more likely um when i drop uh, an apple right it falls down because of gravity and then you go like no it's not gravity it falls down because there's like these little invisible angels that push it down to the ground right and you might be like well well, why would not it just be gravity you can't ever see these guys it's just occam's razor It's, it's definitely just a force like gravity but that's clearly not what's at play here yeah. No, the, the, the actual regular narrative makes no sense, as we said. It makes, <laughs> I don't even say it all the time. <laughs> so, like, actually, it's not Occam's Razor because your assumption is that it makes sense whatsoever that this person just randomly chose to kill this judge because he had a vendetta. That's the assumption. The assumption is he had yeah. a vendetta, which there's no clear evidence that there was, besides that he just hated the judge. Actually, it's not even clear that he really hated the judge. He no, just, it, that's he exactly. Actually, he openly just rants about, like, oh yeah. She clearly wants to just be a uh, Supreme Court person because, you know, there's that other Latino on the court, Sotomayor, and it's like, okay, yeah, Yeah. this is something you would expect a racist to say, but how much does he like, is this like a personal, deep-boiling picture? Like, I don't see it.
1: That's the blanket thing of it is, yes, he was sexist. Yes, he labeled him, like, he proudly said he's the anti-feminist lawyer. Yes, he says some non-pc jokes and i say that because i i don't want people coming at me and being like oh you're sensitive but really it's like the jokes aren't even funny and
0: is- <laughs> like, yeah i read a few of them. like they're right? just
1: like rambling discriminatory comments that he like you know some comedians will say off-color jokes and it's it's uh they say it's the circumstance you needed to be there and all that kind of stuff but this stuff isn't even like it's just all things he's done and said and nothing says that he specifically hated this judge enough to look up her address go to it and botch an assassination attempt you know what i mean like if he really well, wanted to, there's another like,
0: question we don't we actually don't even know if it was an assassination attempt or a
1: intimidation yeah. was,
0: he posed as a here's something to think about he posed as a fedex delivery driver right yeah. And he went up and knocked on the door. And then he immediately opened fire. Now we yeah. can say it's either a botched assassination attempt because he wanted to kill that person, but he clearly saw it was a kid. Yeah. So why if I wanted to assassinate somebody and I pose as a delivery driver and someone opened the door, I would have said, Oh, there's a package for the person that I need yeah. and I need to sign it. I need their signature. It has to be their signature, right? Which is at least somewhat believable and not that hard of a excuse yeah people might be like, oh, but then people add an assumptions like, oh, maybe he got nervous or whatever. maybe he did, but like that does make you wonder why why would he just open fire instead yeah. of uh, trying to go for the target that he that he wanted unless it was a like purposeful intimidation, yeah um, which is stuff that uh, intelligence agencies uh, don't <laughs> like
1: <laughs> they don't advertise they
0: don't, they, yeah, they don't like not only do they not advertise it, but like they're not opposed to that stuff. The other thing is, people are kind of finding incredulous that there would be an assassination attempt on a judge, which I find strange because, like, that's just the fact of the case. Is it was either an assassination attempt or an intimidation? So we can't yeah. find it uh, unbelievable that something that's happened happened. It's yeah, because happened. happened. Yeah. <laughs> the other thing is, is, is it becomes more unbelievable just to believe it's just a crazy dude just yeah. drove all the way from California to kill this judge.
1: And also, what I want to underline is that people are freaked out. About all the news that's coming out about Epstein, about his financial connections, about his connections to the most powerful people in the world, and vice versa, of them being connected to him and him, you know, suiciding, uh, all this stuff. And his, you know, like you said before, his uh, previous conviction with, you know, the very lenient sensing and all the evidence that's out there, people are freaked out and nothing's coming of it. And a lot of it's getting buried in the headlines and in the press with new, our new way of consuming news, which is like a 24 hour news cycle. And people don't want to believe that it could be something other than here's a guy who's crazy, you know? It's It's, so much easier. They're
0: trying to turn the entire Epstein thing into a, oh, you're like a 9-11 truther. But here's the the problem. The Epstein thing was bungled so hard and so obviously he was murdered that people like no one believes it. Like I know like every random person I know from across the political spectrum to people who like barely pay attention to politics. Like everyone knows Epstein was murdered. Like it makes no sense. Almost everyone knows about like the cameras being broken, all that kind of stuff. So like they, when it's done so sloppily, people can't, they can't just dismiss it as like, Oh, you're just like a truther. It's like, it's there. Like, like yeah. it, it's, it's in people's consciousness. We'll people know how disgusting and, Evil the people who like rule over us are, but I think something what stops people a, a little bit, and I don't mean the journalist the journalists the jur- what stops the journalists is like either laziness or you know they uh, uh, are like their higher ups are literally stopping them um, yeah. but like regular people what stops people drawing the conclusions that we're kind of drawing here, I think is it is scary shit. it makes you when you realize that like these people are that ruthless. It becomes kind of like a little—I don't know—a little too real. Yeah, I mean, yeah. so it becomes comforting to be like, "Oh, uh, maybe it was just a crazy person," but it's like, no, these people are like, these people for decades, yeah, knowingly hung out with people who was ha- were were having sexual relations with kids, yeah, like, <laughs> like, like the murder isn't all out of the question here.
1: Yeah, murder's not out of the question. Also, he, yes, he, his beliefs were wild you know but he is a very highly educated man who had connections to a lot of like not even just epstein i'm talking about roy like he is a highly educated man epstein arguably was not very well educated he lied about his resume we
0: don't know like anything about epstein's like real life
1: but roy we do he publicizes it and to think that someone would just go a man who literally is dying of cancer just go after a judge because she didn't rule on his case you know what i mean it's sketchy at least well, sketchy
0: to to end it my my note my my thoughts are it seems clear that there's more stuff here and i really think the deutsche bank link is likely now does it mean it's fully about epstein i don't know Winnie w- webb makes a good point that it might not be so much about the child like sex trafficking stuff as it is about like all the crazy illegal financial crimes that yeah. he did which might also be linked up with some of the sex trafficking stuff we don't really know who the extent of how much those two are linked i mean they clearly are linked because from the same person but we don't know the full extent and we know that deutsche banks is like a criminal bank to begin with and it, it does seem like to me that possibly like if i was wanting to eliminate somebody or cause intimidation like people have this like weird hollywood view that assassins are uh I don't know, like the Jason Bournes, like the, like the like yeah. the 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 James Bonds like like they're like mentally coherent people who like coolly and calmly carry out like sociopathic assassinations and it's like I'm sure there are like very few people who actually fit that kind of like description but like if you're going to hire someone to try to kill somebody or like or something like that uh, like they're not going to be mentally there which no. kind of fits and this also, guy's profile so it's also- like
1: Spies in the real world do not stand out a la James Bond or Jason Bourne, or you know what I mean? Double it like
0: spies also don't write weird manifesto stuff that this guy no, so that's what makes it seem like he's more like a tool in a larger network, yeah. Um, We know called itself a private CIA and worked with all sorts of shady people. So, yeah, maybe take into that. Case (laughs) post, yeah, check this stuff out, look at it absolutely insane the title of the article that i have is alleged salas family assailant previously worked for u.s israeli intelligence linked firm by whitney webb totally worth
1: just look at it
0: yeah (laughs) um so i guess we're gonna end it here before we carry on for another hour yeah Um, (laughs) so we want to thank you for listening to this week's uh episode of jersey matters i hope you have a good week hope you survived the storm and uh we'll catch you next week uh be be sure to check out our social media you know our twitter jersey underscore matters and
1: our uh, podcast
0: podcast i think it's
1: jersey matters pod i think it's podcast my bad guys
0: all right you'll find them all and uh, (laughs) check out our website jerseymatterspodcast.com. Uh be sure to rate us on itunes so we can beat all the lesser jersey news podcasts and uh (laughs) Have a good week. We'll talk to you next week.
1: Bye.